let's stand to our feet. Let's sing, um, Isn't He Wonderful? Isn't He Wonderful?
going to um, just go to the Lord in prayer here as we bring these uh, needs I have before me to the uh, to your attention and um, I'd like to ask Brother Brandon to come up and, and pray over these needs and uh, if the Lord leads also to have a special for us tonight and uh, but it's up to you uh, we would like to pray for, keep in mind Peter uh, Barry and family they're really having a hard time of it right now with the sickness going through the family keep those in mind um, Ashley, I'm sorry, Andy Irish, Emmanuel, Micah, Madeline, they are out tonight as well. Um, Lucas and Haley are out, and the Florians be in prayer for them. They're not here tonight, but Jaron Brown as well. And um, I know many others that would like to be here and cannot be here tonight. So keep those in prayers. Uh, Brother Ben, as you come forward, any other uh, prayer by uplifted hand? Amen. Uh, Brother Ben from Navarre, Florida, just uh, if you will bring these to the Lord and then uh, if you will give us a special God bless you. heads. Dear Lord, we just are so grateful, Lord, to be just gathered here, Lord, tonight. And just, we just know, Lord, that you're the, the master of every situation, Lord, of all things. And, and we just bring these prayer requests up before yes. you, Lord, each one, Lord, just Thanks. you knew about them well before they ever happened, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, for all things, Lord. We just love you. We love each other. Your wonderful name. Amen.
My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. Hey, Amen. Thank you, Brother Ben. It's good to have you and your family here tonight. God bless you. Let's sing, uh, let's put it in the key of C. Let's sing a little bit of Blessed Assurance. Thank you for that. I love those old hymns. You just can't beat them. Blessed tell you what, 
is there a hurricane happening? Is, <laughs> is something? I feel like we've got more Florida people here than uh, people from Hickory. So God bless you. Good to see you all here. Um, I was just thinking as we sang Blessed Assurance, you know, John Wesley came to America uh, 40 years before the Revolutionary War. And he worked in Savannah, Georgia, for a couple of years. And uh, at that time started preaching against slavery. And, um, and he was really impressed with the Moravians that he met here and on the way over. And as he returned to England, he had an experience with God. And in this experience, he was praying for assurance. And at the time, you know, you had the Calvinist pietist, and they, they said you can never know. If you're a child of God, you can never know. You've got to, you've got to rest and, and cry about it. And John Wesley, just, he said, he was reading Romans 8. And it, and it said, the spirit of God doesn't bring you a, a slavery, but, it's, but freedom. And he went on to read where it says, and the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen. And, and this conversion experience came, up, came over him at Aldersgate. And he said, I feel like I've discovered something that has been lost, nearly forgotten. Amen. That great angel to the Philadelphian age pulled something right out of the Bible that, that had been totally forgotten, totally lost. And at that, the, the great Wesleyan Methodist revival, the great awakening in America, the evangelical uh, revival in England, it was built on this doctrine of assurance that John Wesley rediscovered from the scriptures. Let's stand up and let's sing that again, Blessed Assurance, and just, just praise God for, for bringing us what we know, these messengers down through these ages, to this age. Amen. We take it for granted so often, a simple thing like assurance, that it, could have, that it had to be such a great revelation to an angel to the church. Amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is standing I'd like to ask the deacons to come forward this evening while we uh, take the offering amen blessed assurance brother Chris will you just pray over the, the gifts tonight
Amen, amen. As Brother Barry comes forward, let's just sing that, uh, that old camp meeting song, Come and Dine. Jesus has a table spent where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people. Come and dine with his manna, and supplies our every need. Oh, just sweet to suck with Jesus all the time. Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He fed the multitude and turned the water. Wine to the hungry calling now, come and dine. The disciples came to land, thus obeying Christ's command. For the master called to them, come and dine. There they found their heart's desire, bread and fish upon the fire. Thus he satisfies the hungry every time. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He'll fed the multitude and turn the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. Soon the lamb will take his bride to be ever at his side. All the hosts of heaven will symbol be. Oh, it will be a glorious sight. All the saints in spotless white. And with Jesus we will feast eternally. Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine. You may feast with Jesus all the time. He fed the multitude. Yes, come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry call it now, come and dine. Let's give an offering of praise there. Here. Here, seated this evening here just for a moment. We welcome all of you to the house of the Lord. Uh, some of you uh, I know, some I don't. Banfields, right? God bless you. Good to have you uh, with us tonight. And uh, the rest of our visitors here, we're always honored to have you and always, uh, always glad to see uh, folks come. I think it's a good thing to go to church. And uh, we're glad to have you. I just want to give you a couple of very quick announcements here uh, this evening just before we pray. Uh, first of all, that uh, Brother Tim Ashong and his wife made it back to Ghana, and they got back to Ghana, sent us a text, and said, we miss you. And uh, we, uh, we certainly do miss them, but they made it back. Lord willing, they're going to be back here in about six months again uh, for him to be able to go to the doctor so he can have a follow-up and make sure everything is okay after the surgery. And uh, we're very thankful for uh, his recovery and uh, came here with cancer and uh, left, left uh, clean as a whistle and uh, 
really appreciate uh, God's undertaking for Brother Tim. Um, <clears throat> also as well, we just, and I want to say this too, Brother Aaron, we really do appreciate your help for Brother uh, Tim and his, his wife. Uh, there was lots and lots of things that Brother Aaron took care of for them uh, with uh, Brother Daniel and uh, being on the spot there. We appreciate that very much. And I think that's what we should do. Uh, that's what families do is care for one another. So we appreciate that, and that's not unnoticed. Uh, just this afternoon, Brother David Iverson left. Uh, he's been here since uh, before Easter and uh, was with us during that weekend. And uh, part of the following week, he went over to Johnson City, and then he was back at our place again. He spoke at Brother Ron Spencer's on uh, the following weekend. And then Sunday after service here, uh, Sister Becky and I left and we drove as far as Harrisonburg, Virginia, picked him up, went off to D.C., and he wanted to, he'd never been on the East Coast before, so he wanted to see uh, D.C. and some of the East Coast. So we've been traveling uh, since then with him and uh, stayed at our place last night again. We came down today. Brother Billy Ivey picked him up here and brought him to the airport, and so he's uh, on his way this evening about 11 o'clock. And uh, he, uh, I told him, I said, you know, I, I said, I'm going to miss you. You're the little brother I never had. And uh, uh, I, I said, it's just been really special. And he, uh, he wished to convey his uh, thanks and appreciation for the hospitality that was given to him. And uh, he, he really felt uh, at home here and felt very, very comfortable. And it was just, just wonderful. So uh, I appreciate you making him feel that way. And uh, he was really blessed. And when he, he's going home, he's just excited and uh, glad that he came. I wanted to mention to you about uh, Brother and Sister Smith. Sister Smith wound up in hospital, as you know, if you were here on the weekend, uh, wound up in the hospital, and uh, she had some bleeding on the brain and uh, weakness on her left side. She was falling, had some pretty bad bruising, and uh, they took her down to um, where? Concord, and I knew it began with a C and uh, did some examinations and so forth, and then sent her back home. They found no major problem with her brain. Uh, the bleeding had stopped, and so she came back. Uh, and when she did, uh, Brother Smith got her back uh, in the home and uh, with some help, and uh, she is now uh, at home resting there, but she's bedridden. Uh, that now, as, she, as you know, and some of you have been through this or are going through this, it... it, it puts them in a tough spot because now they, they're going to need home care or they're going to need some other type of assistance to, uh, to help out. It would be very difficult for Brother Smith to be able to care for her in the way she needs to be cared for, uh, being bedridden. So uh, they're, they're at that place. And, and if you don't mind remembering them, they were original members of our church here. Uh, Sister Smith is 83, Brother Smith is 81. And uh, they've just been real faithful to each other and helping each other up to this point. But they're moving into that season where they're going to need some extra help. So uh, if you don't mind remembering that in prayer, but also if you want to put some action to your prayers, we will probably have uh, somebody help out doing a little liaison work so that we can keep in contact with them and find out what they need. If they need meals or if they need assistance or if they need some running around or sometimes just, uh, you know, somebody spelling Brother Smith off uh, so he can go do some things and, and have a break. There's some things there that we can do as an assembly. They don't have a whole lot of family in the area, but they do have some. 
but I'm bringing all that to you because I think it's good for us to be aware of that. Number one, to know how to pray, but number two, uh, because there are some things we can probably do to help them out. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, keep you posted on that. But if you don't mind, they love it when you get in contact with them and uh, send them a note or a call or whatever else. And uh, even uh, and Sister Smith, and being so sick, you know, we'll get a birthday card from her and she never misses. She's always really good at it. And uh, we appreciate that very much. So if you don't mind keeping them in prayer, that would be great. Now, uh, let's uh, stand to our feet. We're going to have, if you don't mind, can you bring that up? Uh, Emily, and let's remember Theo. Uh, Theo's down in Arizona and uh, has a tumor that's pressing against his optic nerve. We talked about it last Wednesday night. So if you don't mind remembering uh, Theo in your prayers, he's doing well, uh, improving all the time, and we're thankful for that, and young kids will do that. But uh, we just want to not slack off on praying for Theo. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth I cry, your peace will lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Again, oh, hear my prayer, O Lord. Father, we bow in your presence tonight as we move into that channel of the ministering of the word. Lord, there's a time for worship and there's a time for praying. There's a time, Lord, also for hearing the word. And Lord, then there comes a time for us to apply the word. And that's certainly what we want to be found faithful doing. Have your way, Lord, among us tonight, we pray. As we look around, Lord, there are many needs among us. And, Father, there are several families that are not here tonight. We place them into your hands, Lord. We think of Peter and Rachel and uh, his family, Lord, and ask that you would just undertake for them, Lord, and break that hold of the sickness among them, Father. And, Lord, there's just many others, and we commit them into your care. And we think of Brother and Sister Smith tonight and hold them up before you, Lord, praying that you would be merciful and gracious to them in this season of life. And as they turn this corner, Lord, uh, I, I pray that you would help us to be able to help them. And, Lord, that you would give them the strength and the healing touch that they need because we know your mercies are new every day. 
Have your way, Lord, among us, we pray. Ask, for Lord, for your guidance and leadership tonight. And as we read the sacred word, Lord, may you forgive us of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. May our hearts, Lord, be bare before you tonight. And, Father, we'll give you all the praise and the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's uh, take our Bibles tonight. Thank you, brothers. Appreciate that. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'd like to read there tonight. I hope that you don't take this adoption teaching here as like going to the dentist, you know, where we're learning things that uh, we just got to learn. And tonight we're going to deal with finances again just for uh, a little bit. And uh, we, uh, this will be the, uh, I think, probably the only night that I'll do this this way uh, again because we want to do a financial peace uh, class. But uh, tonight we'll uh, just... Uh, tackle this in a very practical way. Isaiah chapter 2, or sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Everybody got it? Say amen. amen. Thank you, Jesus. Every, let's do that again. Everybody got it? Say amen. amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And I love my Bible. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required. That word required there in the Greek, it means demanded. It is demanded in stewards that a man be found wealthy. Sorry. It is required in stewards that a man be found having a big church when he dies. Nope. Faithfulness is the simple, singular thing that God's looking for in stewards. But with me, Paul said, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. May God at his blessing you may be seated. I was blessed today to receive a report from Brother Elias in uh, Tanzania. And uh, the ministers uh, go out there on a regular basis, and uh, we support those missionaries going out. There's about 20 of them uh, who travel in different parts of Tanzania. And in the southern part of Tanzania, which is very sparse, very uh, uh, thinly populated, and very poor, extremely poor down there, uh, they're just doing a tremendous work in visiting the little churches that are down there. And uh, it's been a real uh, blessing. But in Loliando, where we were in December, uh, there are new converts that are coming in. So that's exciting. And uh, we're, just, we're just grateful for the work uh, that they're doing in that part of the world. I just received those from Brother Elias. Now, there are things that adoption should teach us. There are general principles, things that all of us uh, can relate to. Uh, things like, uh, you know, having uh, perfect rapturing faith and then learning the Father's way. Marriage and family really do matter. We're talking about stewardship here. We started this last Wednesday night. And uh, Jeremy, give me another little uh, perk there, will you? A little pump. And uh, stewardship is important because it is, uh, it, it is uh, an, an, an expression of our faithfulness uh, in God and what God's given to us. And it's also an expression of accountability, uh, knowing that our Father owns everything on the earth, and so therefore we want to be good stewards or handlers uh, of what God has given to us. So what we have in this life, we received from somewhere, because we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we'll take nothing out. So you are, you are literally a manager. 
That's what, that's what you're called to be. The moment you receive something, you are a manager, not an owner. And the moment, the, the sooner we get this idea into our heads that we are uh, not owners of what we possess, but managers of it, you're going to then think more readily about going to the person who actually owns it to find out what does he want me to do with this. It isn't mine after all, so I need to seek and ask the question to the owner, what do you want me to do with this? If this is my, uh, my career, this is my decision coming out of college, uh, this is my bonus check that I got, this is my uh, property that I have, I could sell it, I could keep it, and so forth. What is it that you want me to do with it? I don't own it, you own it, and I want to do something that brings glory to God. When you begin to think that you own it, then you have a, minim, then you have a uh, diminishing dependence on God. When, when you think, you own, I own it all, I'm going I'm to own more, I'm going to accumulate more, I'm going to hoard more, you have less and less of a dependence on God. And that's the opposite of what God wants to accomplish. I believe that God wants to bless every one of us and that he would prosper us in health and so forth and in understanding and revelation. Uh, when it comes to uh, stewardship, it is not just about money. We're going to talk a little bit about that this evening, but it is not just about money. It is about all the resources that God provides for you while you're on your earthly journey. Your health is something that God gave you. Your time is something that God gives you. Your children is something that God gives you. And the assets that you have, the resources that you have, they're all provided by God. And so therefore, we have to learn to realize and appreciate that we don't own it, but we are, we are called to be good managers of it. Okay? So that's the idea. Now, Brother Branham says, now, they just uh, tell me that they took up a love offering for me a few minutes ago. And I appreciate that. He said, I don't deserve it. That's true. But Brother Baxter said all the debts were paid and everything. And then when they do that, then they get a love offering. And we appreciate that. And that's the way Brother Bram set it up because the angel told him to set it up that way. And he said, we appreciate it. And to the best of my knowledge and all that I know, every penny of it will be spent for the glory of God the best that I know how. And there won't be one foolish thing that the money will go for. Because at that day, we want to be found a good and true faithful steward of his welfare. So you'll find Brother Bram saying this lots and lots of places. As a matter of fact, uh, I learned a lot about uh, missionary work and how to, do th- how to do missionary work by looking at lots of these little statements that Brother Bram made about how mission money is collected and how uh, God spreads the blessing and how it should be handled and how it's to be given out overseas and all the rest of it. And uh, I-, I believe that... Uh, God, God honors that when we, when we learn. And Brother Branham learned. Uh, as you know, Brother Branham got caught up in a, uh, like in a sense, a wrongful suit, or he was ignorant of the law and found himself in a place where he had to defend his actions in the uh, IRS court. And uh, Brother Branham learned from that. He learned a good bit from that because it was a pretty traumatic experience. But all of us, all of us have made mistakes when it comes to this subject of stewardship. All of us have done stupid with zeros on the end of it. Right? All of us, all of us would want to have some of that back. If I could only get some of it back. Not even all of it, but some of it back. And, and, and Brother Barry, where were you 15 years ago? Well, I'll tell you where I was 15 years ago. I was learning like you. And about 10 years ago, I realized I was dragging a debt around with me that I brought from Ohio 
I'm just being transparent. And I don't want you to think that, well, pastors preach from some sort of a perch where they don't deal with real life. But I had a business when I lived in Ohio, and I came to the year 2000, and I moved to Virginia. And when the business was sold, there was a debt left of, from that business. And uh, it wasn't a great deal. It wasn't more than $10,000, but it was almost that. And it was my own little kind of personal ball and chain. I, you know, wrote my name on it, had other people write their name on it, you know. It was kind of like an old dog. It just follows you everywhere you go. And everywhere I looked, there was that little debt. And I, I wound up getting into a habit. And habit's going to be an important thing here. But I got into a habit of just paying the minimum. And that went on for years and years and years. And I dragged that ball and chain around with me for a long time. Until I realized about... Eight years ago or so, I realized, you know what? This is absolutely foolish for me to be taking this, this size of a debt and just dragging it around. And it was just the kind of thing where it was maintained. It wasn't dealt with. But I owed the money. And, you know, there was, there was no, it wasn't in my thoughts to get rid of the debt. I just needed to pay it back because I had agreed to borrow it as a credit line for that business and so forth. So I said, hey, I just got to roll up my sleeves and do it. And so I began to pay, I began to realize how I could reconstruct my budget a little bit and add more to the payment on that. And of course, that began to snowball in the right way and began to pay more and more off and got it done. Hey, it was gone. It was a great day when I got that bolt cutter out and cut the chain and uh, kissed Uncle Harry goodbye. And, uh, you know, it was gone. And I was very glad for that. And then I realized, if I can do that with that, why can't I do that with the other balls and chains that exist? And I began to systematically get at it. And then, by God's grace, eventually came to the place where all, all the debts were satisfied. And I'm, I'm glad to say, by God's grace, by God's grace, I have no debts now that I carry around. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm saying that to say to you that some of you are looking at me and saying, what planet are you living on? You need to, you need to, uh, you need to uh, listen carefully, make some decisions here, because no one's going to do this for you. No one's going to do this for you. This is a very personal decision, and you have to look at your own situation and begin to make changes because we get into habits. It's easy to stay in those habits. It takes real effort to break out of those things, but I will tell you that there are resources to help you. Now, a steward, uh, as we're talking about, is the manager of a household or household affairs whom the proprietor has entrusted to you. It is the care and receipts of an expenditure, like when you pay your city taxes, uh, when you pay your income tax, you very often pay to, uh, it might, in, in our town, it's an individual that we write to. It's, he's, they're the treasurer of the county, uh, and it might be the, the city of so-and-so. But you pay to somebody. Uh, they don't own that. They personally don't own that. That is a possession of the city. It is a revenue for the city. But when a steward uh, is appointed, they are given certain responsibilities and they have to account for those. They have to uh, make sure that they can reckon uh, what happened to all the assets that was put in their hand. But they are also, a steward is also a protector or developer of the assets of the owner. So in the Bible, you remember Joseph in the Old Testament, right? The book of Genesis. Somebody say amen and I'll move on. 
In the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph uh, was given the possessions of Egypt and Pharaoh placed them in his hand and said, you run this. You, you be the uh, steward over this. You don't own it, Joseph, but you, you're a wise man. I'm going to appoint you as a steward over uh, the affairs of Egypt. And Joseph did. And people had to go through Joseph in order uh, to possess the grains and so forth in the famine years. But remember, Joseph didn't own it. Pharaoh owned it all. Egypt owned it all. But Joseph was entrusted with a responsibility to manage all the surplus of Egypt. Isn't that right? All right. So now we we understand pretty much what a steward is. And we also understand this principle that the earth is the Lord's. The earth isn't yours. The earth isn't the bride's. The earth isn't Brother Branham's. Hello? The earth is the Lord's. He never gave it away. We don't find anywhere where he gave it away. But he gives you dominion. Over it, just like he gave Adam dominion over the Garden of Eden and over the fish of the sea and so forth. He gives us management responsibility. And we are therefore to find out, well, what does the owner really want done with this? And Adam and Eve, as you know, they, they blew it. Just like in the same way, if you have a house and the bank holds the mortgage, you can mess up that house because you have a freedom to do that. Just like we have a freedom over the choices that we have in this life. But remember, the earth is the Lord's. That's not just an Old Testament concept. It is found also in the New Testament, word for word. uh, It is the principle that God wanted us to understand. And so therefore, we find that uh, in Scripture here. And part of the problem that we have today in our country is that we're very, very good consumers. Uh, We live in a kind of a perpetual eBay. Uh, There's always stuff available, right? And whenever, uh, whenever you get tired of that, we'll either box it for some future sale, which rarely happens, or we'll put it back on eBay to raise money to buy more stuff that is on eBay as well. And so we, are in, we live, in a, in a sense, in a perpetual yard sale. Uh, it's just amazing how, uh, how we are marketed to. And the, let me tell you, it, it's very effective. Marketing is a, is a real science. It's a real thing. And it's something that we had to be aware of. The highest number of bankruptcies occur in families where their ages of the parents are 35 to 44. And the next highest number of bankruptcies occurs in uh, families where the adults are 25 to 34. The leading cause of bankruptcy, as we said last Wednesday night, was health costs. The things that we think will never happen, but they happen. And so it's wise for us to make sure that we allocate uh, our resources to uh, the right kinds of things that protect our income and protect the assets that we have. Uh, It's very important because you cannot say that it will not happen. It can happen. And it does happen, right? Christian cars break down. Christians get into car accidents. Christian checks bounce right? They bounce real good. They bounce just as high as all the secular checks out there. Uh, they surely do. So there are, there are situations that happen. There are uh, pandemics that come, things out of the blue. There are job, uh, job uh, situations that go south. And uh, I don't mean moving to Florida. I mean, uh, they, they go to China. And so therefore, we've got to be ready for the, the unexpected. And that's part of our stewardship. Okay. So in a, uh, I showed you this last Wednesday night, we will loan you enough money to get completely out of debt. That was a sign that I saw in a loan office. If, you, if you're not laughing at this or smiling, you've got to think about this, okay? And I'll give you a second just to think about it because you cannot, you cannot borrow your way out of debt. Whether you're the federal government or whether you're sitting here tonight, you cannot borrow your way out of debt. All you did was move the debt when you borrow your way out of debt. 
All right, so let me give you a concrete example here, and I love this. I saw this in a magazine. I was on an airplane. I was flipping through a magazine. It was in the pocket. This is before COVID, and now you're not allowed to touch anything. So uh, I had that in my hand, and I was looking at this, and it said, the advertisement, the big print said, uh, you can have a laptop just by holding a balance uh, on this credit card. And that was, the, that was the, the, the headline. And I thought, huh. Get a new laptop. Now, this is back when a new laptop was, whoa, he's got a laptop. Because back then, everybody had a desktop. Remember those? For you young people, they were kind of like the phones that used to have cords, all right? And uh, now, not too many people have these in, in the normal scheme of things. But uh, nonetheless, I saw this, and it said, if you just carry a balance on this credit card, and you can have yourself a brand new laptop, free, and they made, they made that very clear. You could have it free. And whenever you're, uh, most of us don't like to read fine print. But I will tell you, if you're going to, if you're, if you're venturing out to do something stupid, then you should read the fine print. Okay? So if you don't mind tonight, let me read the fine print on this deal just so you know how you're being marketed to. Is that all right? Everybody give me a few minutes here to do this. Watch how it works. Universal Savings Bank was offering a brand new laptop in exchange for transferring a balance of at least $5,000 from another credit card to their credit card. Okay, you didn't have to, you didn't have to spend anything. You just, if you transferred a balance to that card, then you could, uh, you could have the, the laptop. It is called the Upfront Rewards Visa Platinum. And it also required cardholders to maintain the balance of at least 3500 on the card for at least 18 months. So the minimum was you had to have 3500 on that card for a year and a half. And those who did not have 5000 to transfer can request a cash advance of up to 2500 to bring the initial balance up to 5000 So they're wanting to make sure that you hit that target balance. And the card's current uh, interest rate was five, sorry, 9.9%. And Universal is offering a choice of notebooks and so forth, the Dell, the IBM, and the HP Compact. So, you know, you kind of look at that and say, if you don't understand how that, what that paragraph actually means, and you can look at that and say, you know what, honey, we needed a laptop. You know, the kids are always on that one, and so we need a laptop, and we travel a lot, so you know what, we probably should think about this. Well, if you think about it, here's how it works. Let me do the math for you, okay? It means that if you have $5,000 on a credit card and the interest rate is 9.9%, we know that, and you pay $100 a month for that, which is actually more than the minimum, you would pay for 64.74 months to pay off that balance, and you would pay a total of $6,474, provided there are no other purchases. And remember, the laptop's original cost is approximately $800 to $900. Wow, I got a free laptop for $6,474. Wow, that's pretty good. But the brackets is the killer. Because you know what? Guys, guys will often forget a couple of important dates. Like my wife's birthday. Or it's our anniversary. And they're on their way home. They're passing Target for the last time, and they're on their way home, and they realize it's our anniversary. And you know what they do? They reach for that card that was just reserved for the laptop. They go like this. And they reach for that card, and you know what? All of a sudden, there's additional monies put on that card. Now, 
it's going to be a balance of more than 6474 that you paid back. Because sometimes we guys forget. And sometimes ladies will go in the store and they'll see a pair of shoes that they absolutely have to have. Because it matches other things that they absolutely had to have. And without having their husband around and without having any spare cash, they'll go like this. They'll do this number here. They'll reach for that card or they'll take that card out of the purse. And now all of a sudden we have a balance that's higher than the balance that they agreed to have. So you wind up, if, if we do the math, and this is calculated with compounding interest, you will wind up with a free laptop for only $6,474. Even if you subtract out your $5,000, you've, you've got a free laptop for $1,474. <laughs> that, my friend, is a deal. Now, let's just change the numbers a minute. And let's just say we take the same $5,000 at 9.9%, but we only pay $50 a month. That'll take us 212 months to repay. And we will have paid $10,600 Subtract out your 5000 and you've got yourself a free laptop for $5,600. Hello? Provided. Let's all say it together. Provided. Say it again. Provided that there are no other further purchases. Sometimes having a card in your pocket is just too tempting. But that's what we call marketing. And marketing, a lot of people go as far as the initial headlines, which said, free laptop for balance. Marketing will get you. Everybody all right? Oh, folks, come on. Don't look like you're, having, you're going to have your tooth pulled. Let's look. How so, and I, I say that, I throw that example out there because I know, I know that none of you would ever do that. Household debt in the U.S., holds collectively the, the, the U.S., sorry, household debts in the U.S. collectively owed $17 trillion at the beginning of this year. U.S. households collectively owed $17 trillion. That would be a total combined debt, mortgages, student loans, credit cards, all the rest of it here, and the average household had 100,667 in mortgage debt at the end of 22, uh, 2022, and the average household owed 142,680. Now, it isn't, uh, as we said last Wednesday night, we won't take a lot of time on it, but uh, having a home is, is uh, very, very often, not always, but very often a good investment for a family. But we had to make sure that we are in a position to be able to do that, and we had to make sure that we, uh, we have other things taken care of, uh, ideally, before we get into that. All right, so let, today, tonight, let's look at how do we deal with this. How do we, if you have an abundance of debt, how do we deal with this? Now, I realize uh, some of you finance people that are here might say this a little bit differently. I'm just going to give you a real simple overview, okay? And we'll take some point, pointers out of here. Uh, but uh, realizing that it would be good for us to go into this a little more in depth uh, in, in, a separate, in a separate kind of a class. Now, I realize in saying this that, uh, you know, as a pastor, uh, sometimes, you know, this is the, this is the roll up your sleeves, kind of look at it in a very practical way kind of preaching. This is not very often the kind where everybody at the end gets up and run around. Uh, as a matter of fact, 
what we had to prevent is people getting up and running out. Uh, and the only song really that comes to mind to sing at the end of something like this is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. But, but this is what we refer to as a practical application of the word. And in doing the slides like this and the PowerPoint like this, it slows down the tempo a little bit so that we can uh, make notes. Of course, the PowerPoints are always available to you. Uh, but it slows down the tempo a little bit so you can think about it and uh, you can think about the parts that you can apply. If you're a teenager and you're uh, you know, going into college, there's some real significant things that you need to be thinking about and planning for. And if you're married or getting married and you're in the early stages of marriage, uh, you know there's some real, real important choices that you're going to have to make. But if you're, uh, if you're near the end of your working life, uh, there are some things that you need to think about too. So, uh, you know, there are things that are changing. All the rules are changing. All the rules are changing in our country. How many would agree? And all the rules are changing from the, retirement, the mandatory retirement age to the amount of taxes we pay and the amount of debt we got to pay back because of government handouts during COVID and all the other expenses that we have as a nation, all of that stuff eventually has to be paid back. And there are things that are happening that you have under your control, and there's a bunch of things happening that you don't have under your control. They're happening anyway. But you had to realize that uh, I can't be responsible for everything that the nation does, but I can be responsible as for me and my house. And so I want to be able to control what I can within my sphere of influence, and I want to be able to make the right decision. Because after all, I, I, I look at this, and this is the way I look at it, I look at it as something that's not mine. It's not mine, it's God's. So Lord, if you've given this to me, help me to have the wisdom and the, uh, the insight to be able to do the right things with it that will be pleasing to you. Is that all right? So that's what we're going to do. So in Malachi, we find this scripture about tithing, and, and uh, Malachi writes, Will a man rob, rob God? Ye have robbed me. Uh, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. And ye are cursed with a curse. When you rob God, he said, You're cursed with a curse. Ye have robbed me, even this whole nation, and bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the window of heaven, pour you out a blessing, and there shall be room enough for you to receive it. So God says, now, this is, this is mine, it's in your hands, but when you give it back to me, I'll bless you. doesn't make sense, but that's the way that tithing operates. According to the U.S. government, there are 348,000 clergy employed in the U.S. I'm one of them, and they serve their church an average of 15.8 years. I'm not one of them. And 65 to 74-year-olds are the largest givers of 3.1% of their income. So the older folks tend to be the largest givers of 3.1% of their income in life. 18 to 24-year-olds give 0.6% of their income. 0.6 of 1% of their income. Shame. Earners making under, under 10000 There's not many of those left. But earners making under 10000 according to the government, gave 2.8% of their income to the church. And earners making over 100000 gave 2.1% of their income to the church. Shame on them. <clears throat> Let's look. There are 12 good reasons for paying your tithes. I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm just going to say it for the people who may be listening, not for you, but for the people who may be listening. 
Malachi 3 tells us that we have robbed God if we do not pay tithing and offering. And we have gone away from God by departing from his word. That's number one. You don't want to be characterized as that. Malachi chapter 3 says in verse 10, uh, God says, you're a curse with a curse. And also 10 and 11 says, if you repent, then God promises, number one, to open the windows of heaven and he'll pour out the blessings. And number two, he will not destroy your fruit or the harvest of your field. And also that the vine will actually come to harvest because God's going to deal with the destroyer. Okay? God will prevent the destroyer from destroying your harvest. So when we, when we actually do the scripture, when we obey the scripture uh, that is so plain on this issue, then God, God actually puts himself in a position to watch over what you have so that it's preserved even supernaturally. And God will come up with ways, God will, God will actually produce ways to protect what you have so that you can continue to do what is right according to the word. God loves your obedience, right? And God loves to see that in the hearts of his people. And he will rebuke the devourer. If you go on and read in Malachi chapter 3, uh, he, he says, uh, I will promise you I'll pour out the, uh, open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing and so forth. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Hey, listen, you don't want the devourer to come into your house. But you want God to be rebuking the devourer, the one who eats up and destroys uh, everything that you have. Uh, you know, we, were, we had a devourer uh, at our house. We had some uh, issues out there. We, there was a certain area of plumbing in our house that we hadn't looked at in 23 years. We've been in our house for 23 years. And uh, we got a guy in who's a brother that we know in a church up there in, uh, in Virginia. And he came in and looked at our uh, fields out there. And, and as, as he uncovered everything in the field, he looked at it and said, uh, this is all broken. And he said, we've, we've got to start replacing things systematically uh, in the field there. So it is uh, just by natural, not by uh, misuse, but by, just by uh, use over time. And just by uh, you know, opening and closing doors over a long period of time, things get loose and things need to be replaced and things need to be maintained. But the devourer will come and mess your life up really big. God says, I'll watch out for the devourer. Number four, the fourth reason is, is that we are believers of the message. How many believers of the message do we have here? How many Bible believers do we have here? And if the Bible says it and the word of the Lord teaches it, you know what? We should not be debating that. We should not be finding a way around that. We should be saying amen to it. And not just to say amen in church and go home and not do it, but we should be doers of the word as well. It also causes you to put God in his right place. You want to make sure you always put God in the right place in your life. He's first. He's primary. Isn't that right? He has the preeminence in my life. And I, I, I demonstrate that. I state that. I live that because, you know what? When it comes to payday, I write the first check with that revenue that God gives. So, number six, we bring God's wisdom and order to your finances. When we bring God's order to the financial picture, things change. When you begin to apply scriptural principles to uh, your finances and your household affairs, let me tell you, things will change. Even if you just make little changes, things will change. When you move in the right direction, when you move in the, in the positive direction uh, with your finances, I will guarantee you things will begin to change. Because then God's got something to work with. When you pay your tithing, you actually open up a channel 
that allows the Holy Spirit to be able to touch your household and to be able to uh, bring your affairs into better shape. But when we do that, we're actually, implore, we're actually imploring and we're actually utilizing God's wisdom and bringing order to our finances. Number seven, it's a constant reminder to us when we pay our tithing. It's a constant reminder that God knows everything after all. He owns everything after all, and we can never forget that. It also brings out God's creative attributes because, uh, you know, all of a sudden uh, you'll find something happening that you never counted on, you never expected, and all of a sudden uh, something happens. You know, like uh, I, the other, the other uh, month, uh, a little while back, uh, I got a letter from the government, and uh, it was an IR, a thing from the IRS, and, you know, you're uh, on the way home from the post office. But I got home, and I looked at it, and here was a check for $234. And it was from a return that I had posted two or three years ago. Well, April is a vicious, vicious month for me. I don't know if most families have a vicious month. You know what a vicious month is? I have three birthdays in the month of April and income tax and a couple of other things that come due in in April. It's a vicious month for me. I would just prefer soon, soon we went to 11. Uh, instead of 12. But nonetheless, uh, April is a month where there's just lots of demands. And I had to prepare for April every year because, you know, it happens to come the same time every year, which is great, so I can plan for it. And all of a sudden, the government sends me a check. And I'm thinking, that's not something I planned at all, but that's God's creative way of sometimes coming up with things that you never expected. You probably all can uh, tell different little stories. Let me tell you one more little one. I remember when uh, I was living in Ohio and we had a small church. I I think I've told you this story before and uh, we were just making ends meet. I mean, we were just carrying along just just paycheck to paycheck because that's all we had. I was working hard. I was trying to do what we could, trying to keep the little church going and uh, doing everything I knew to do in order to help that happen. My wife was homeschooling the boys and, uh, you know, she was tied up with that. She taught piano lessons and uh, she would teach all day in homeschool and she had 23 students, I think, after school. And I mean, we just did everything we could. And all of a sudden, one day, at a point where it was, where it was getting serious, I go to the post office and there's an envelope in there and... I opened it up, and here's a letter from Brother Lee Vale. Now, I knew Brother Vale, not real well, but I knew him and, and had some interaction with him. But uh, he sends me a letter, and inside the letter, I looked, and here's a check for $2,371.75. I remember the number today. And uh, this was back uh, probably in 1990, somewhere around that time. And uh, I looked at the check, and I'm thinking... I read the letter. I pulled out his letter. And, and Brother Vale says, Brother Barry, he says, I know you have a small church over there. And every small church needs at least two more tithe payers in it in order to make ends meet. So he said, I did a calculation. He said, I took the average salary in Ohio, multiplied it by two for two extra tithe payers, and had, had their tithes calculated and multiplied that by three months. So you'd have two more tithe payers for three months. And he said, the total comes out to $2,371.75, something like that. And uh, he said, here's a check for it now. He says, so uh, you can pretend like you got two more tithe payers. And I'm like, whoa. Because I needed, what I needed was around $2,000. That was what I was short. And so there was the money. And then at the footnote of of the letter, at the bottom of it, he says, God never gives us more than we can bear. But he comes real close sometimes. That's what he said. 
I called him up and I thanked him for that. But you know what it is? That's God's creative attributes. God can lay it on someone's heart. God can, God can come up with a refund that you don't know anything about. Uh, you know, you have a dead relative that, that kicks the bucket and has a big bucket. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden there's funds coming your way. Don't underestimate God's creative ability. Is that all right? Don't underestimate God's creative ability. What you've got to do is your part. Let God take care of the rest of it. Okay? But you've got to make sure that you do your part. Now, <clears throat> number nine, we, it encourages growth through trust in God. Trust in God keeps popping up here uh, because that's really what he wants to have. Remember, faith rests on the shoulders of a quiet trust in God. And then we also stack up deposits in heaven. That's what the Bible tells us, that whenever we, make, we, we put our uh, treasures in the right place, we're actually treasuring up uh, things in heaven. And then number 11, we support the local church when we do that. And that allows ministries and outreach and full-time pastors and ministers and missionaries, all the other things, the pictures that I've showed you and the billions of pictures I've showed you in the past uh, that show what's going on in the world is because we have faithful people who pay their tithing. It isn't magical, folks. It's just God takes what's given, multiplies. Look around. We're not, we don't have thousands of people. But look around at what this little church has done. And I'm not saying that boastfully, but I am saying it boastfully because look what God has done uh, all around the world. And it's because people are, people are faithful and they give and God takes that, blesses that, multiplies that, does great things with it. God doesn't need great things to do great things. Number 12. It also takes care of the building and the repairing of the structure. And we could find that that was in the Old Testament. That's what God wanted. We find it carrying over into the new as well. All right, so that's my list. Here's Brother Random's statement. Support your pastor. Somebody say amen. amen. Support your church. Somebody you can say amen again. Support the cause that stands for the right things. Go ahead. Say it for the third time. And he's talking about the Queen of Sheba. And he said, now, if that's not right, I'll bring my money back. She said, if it's right, I'll owe something to it. This is what he's paraphrasing what the Queen of Sheba said. And he said, that's the way we should feel. That's the way we should feel. If this be God, not only our money, our money's little, but be owing our hearts, our time, our talents, everything we have, we owe to God. Somebody say amen. And if it's right, let's get into it with everything we got. And if it isn't right, go find what is right and then get into that. I think that's a great piece of advice. Because I will tell you, like I said on Sunday, and just let me stop and preach for just about 30 minutes, 30 seconds here, just to say this. Hey, I believe the message is right. And if it's right, you know what? We should live for it. We should be ready to die for it. Uh, we should give everything we have to it and stop playing pussyfoot around and, uh, you know, just dilly-dallying and in and out. Hey, we should find a place where we can serve God, find a place where, uh, where our family is ministered to, and get in with all your might. Get in, roll up your sleeves, and uh, take communion, wash the feet of the saints, pay your tithes, give an offering. Uh, what we should do is, wherever we are, be all there. I said, wherever we are, we should be all there. Or Brother Bram said, find a place where you can and get into that. But let me tell you, if it is of God, if this is of God, in other words, you're going to wind up one day at the gate and God's going to say, but didn't you really believe that this was of God? Didn't you believe that this end time message was really of God? You got to answer that question. It's up to you. The second thing that we have to be thinking about is saving. Because that's the way we get out of debt is saving. Now, <clears throat> Solomon writes this verse, Proverbs 22 and 3, forgive me here for repeating. Uh, but a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. The simple pass on and are punished. That is an agricultural phrase. Uh, Solomon wrote that for the farmers in the congregation. And it means this, that a prudent man or a man who's shrewd, he will foresee the evil 
and prepares himself. The word hideth there means prepare. And that means that uh, a prudent man, like a farmer, he'll uh, come to the harvest time and have 100 bushels of, of wheat at the end of the harvest. Pretty good. And if he wanted to, he could sell all of that and get himself a new truck, you know, with the mirrors that stick out and got the lights in them. You know, I mean, he could do that brand new truck and, and uh, why buy someone else's problem? And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he could take all of that harvest, he could sell it, or he could hold a portion of it back because spring is coming. So that when spring comes, he'll be able to sow without any debt. Is everybody following me? You know what? Spring is not here. In the harvest time, spring is not here, but spring is coming. So he's wise if he holds back a little portion of his seed so that in the spring he can sow that field without any debt because if the crop fails next year, he's got a debt to pay if he's borrowed money to buy seed. Right? So a prudent man foresees the evil and prepares himself. If you've got daughters, guess what? They're eventually going to get shopping first and then they'll get married. And so you have to think about that evil. And that evil, if you want to interpret that as that guy that shows up at the door, sure, that's fine. Uh, and says, you know, Brother Barry, is it all right if I take your granddaughter out? Hello, take my granddaughter out. I better not hear some Yahoo showing up taking my granddaughters out. I'll get on a flight to Phoenix. And... But that's, that's evil, all right? <laughs> that's downright evil. I had four boys. I had to think about the evil of college expense. Because we wanted our boys to be able to have the option to go to college. They didn't have to, but they needed to have some post-secondary education to be able to provide for their family so that their wife would have the option to be able to stay home if that was their choice. We didn't tell the boys what they had to do, but we told them that they had to continue to be able to have a trade because you know what? They're going to want to get married. And if they want to get married, they're going to, have to probably want to have their wives do what mom did, and that is stay home and deal with the children. That's not possible in every situation. I don't want to make anybody feel bad. I'm just saying that when you plan, nobody, nobody plans to fail. But a lot of times we fail to plan. I said nobody plans to fail. But we need, we need to make sure, we need to make sure that we don't fail to plan because we know certain things are coming. The simple pass on and are punished. They don't think about the consequences of the future. So saving helps us to get around that. So I call this developing an emergency fund uh, so that we don't have to reach for the card and we don't have to dig the hole further, but we want to have a minimum amount of money. We want to have a minimum amount there that would be emergency. Emergency funds are used for emergencies. Say it with me. Emergencies. Emergencies are not pizza on Friday night. Right? Emergencies is not your anniversary. Emergencies are things that happen that you didn't count for, like you're on your way home and a tire blows out. you got to go to Brother Sam and get on one knee and say, Brother Sam, <laughs> Brother Sam. Because Brother Sam deals with cars. I shouldn't have said that. Now you'll have believers from all over the cosmos calling you up. <clears throat> when a washer goes out, that's not something we budget for. We don't, we don't normally plan for that in a monthly budget. But things happen, right? Life happens. And so having an emergency fund helps us to prevent going further into debt. So 
that, that would be the first step. If you're single, you young, young uh, people that are here, you should have uh, that, that, uh, an amount of money laid aside so that uh, you don't have to go in debt for things later on. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, that's grandchildren, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. The, 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 the scripture is full of uh, such admonitions. Entrepreneur Magazine recently uh, reported that there is a 33% increase in the number of heart attacks on Monday mornings and a 25% increase in work-related injuries on Mondays. You know why? Because a lot of people go back to work and they realize, wow, uh, this, is, this seems so futile and it, it can become overwhelming for people. And they're back at it again and back at it again. Center for Disease Prevention in Atlanta said that there are more deaths at 9 a.m. on Monday mornings than any other time of day or any other day of the week. Because people realize, you know what, I'm back at it again, I'm back at it again. And it has an effect on people over time. Ten years after graduation, this I think is an important statistic, 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their college major. It's not wrong to have a college degree. It's not wrong to do that. It's not wrong to have a a trade or a skill uh, that they can use. But it is, I think, important, and this is, I'm just going to tell you what I did, when my boys turned the corner and they started to think about 12, 13, 14 years old, it was at that particular point in their life that I began to encourage them to pray, seeking God, asking God, what was my bent in life? What was my, uh, what was my uh, you know, the, the thing that you've given to me to serve with? What was the thing that I, is a natural talent for me? A lot of times young people recognize the gifts and talents that they have because they've lived with them all their life. You can see them. What you want to do is begin to have the conversation that helps them to realize, you know what, uh, this, is, this is a good thing. I had one boy, as you know, uh, when, he was, when he was still in one-piece sleepers, one-piece sleepers, slept, and we have pictures of him sleeping in the cot with tools. And uh, it's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, and... and <laughs> That boy eventually wound up becoming an engineer, and he had told us all of his life, he said, I, I want to drive a dozer. I want to be on a heavy equipment. I want to be out in the field. And this is not Matt Cross we're talking about. But he, he wanted to do that all of his life. He wanted to be out in the field, you know, with, with uh, tractors and stuff. And we told him, no, listen, I mean, that's all right, but you, you're, you're, you're smart enough, you're talented enough to be an engineer. And so I believe very strongly in mentoring. And I, had, I told him, I said, listen, why don't we get a job on a construction site and you get a taste for how this actually feels. And this was in high school. And so worked around, got him a job, and there was a company building houses on the side of a hill and they were laying water lines. And the water lines had to be deep, so they had lots of heavy equipment. And uh, we, got, we got him a job there at, on, that, uh, on that crew. And uh, he was working that summer while he was in, I think, first year of college, I think it was, or the end of high school. And so I made his lunch every day, and I'd bring it over to him. And I'd just put it in a bag and go on over, and I'd sit down and uh, give him his lunch. And all the guys, the guys loved it when I showed up at the lunch because they thought, wow, if Peter shares this, you know, we're in good shape. And uh, so I said, uh, <clears throat> I said to Pete after we were done, you know, after the summer was over, just about over, and uh, he told me, he said, Dad, he said, I found out on, on, my, on my work crew, I'm the only guy that's not a felon. <laughs> Everyone's a felon. He said, I'm the only one that's not. 
I said, how did that go over? And he said, well, he said, I told him one day I had a speeding ticket. And he said, oh, okay, Pete, that, that'll work. You know, you can join the club. And, but at the end of it, he decided himself. He realized, you know what? There's more to this than just digging a hole. That's fun. That's a lot of fun. And he really enjoyed it and was grateful to have done that all summer. But you know what? He realized, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And that's the great thing about mentoring and, uh, you know, having that opportunity. And he went on to become an engineer. Now he's a PE and very successful uh, in what he's doing here. So there's a, there's a bent that every child has. And it's really important for parents to work on that bent and to bring it out. The average job now in our, in our economy lasts about 3.2 years. In the old days, people went to work for, you know, a Ford Motor Company, and they joined it when they were 20 years old and stayed there until they were 60, collected their pension, and stayed home, right, and grew potatoes. And that's not the way it is now. The average job lasts roughly about 3.2 years, and so we had to be a little bit smarter about retirement and so forth. The average worker uh, will work, therefore, and have 14 to 16 jobs in a working lifetime. That's what that means. And in 2001, there were over a million layoffs and terminations. That was a historical record, an all-time historical record. So by 2010, we expect the retirement age to be delayed delayed well into the 70s. This was an article in Time magazine that was written a year or two ago. What will the retirement age be in 2050? And the short answer was, older than it is now. The economic pressures of aging populations and shrinking pension trust funds means the retirement age will probably increase in coming decades. So, very simply, if you have less people working because there's less children in marriage, because parents, uh, young people get married later in, mar- in life, you've got less people paying into Social Security, more people wanting to have Social Security, the only way to, one of the ways to fix that is to have people working longer. So they say by 2050, it'll probably be 70 years old. It is 70 years old already in in England, and uh, different countries have different ages there. Declining populations is a huge thing, and I don't want to get going on that, but it is a huge thing. So in other words, that's something the world does. You've got to be thinking about your uh, responsibility in a situation like this. Okay, You've got to be thinking about, all right, well, what are we going to do? Because there is nothing wrong with working hard. There is nothing wrong with working hard. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase. That's Bible, folks. There is nothing wrong with working hard. And there is nothing wrong with requiring your children to work hard. There is nothing wrong with refusing to give your children all they ask for. If you're the type of parent that says, well, I never had it when I grew up, so I'm going to make sure they have everything, you're, you're on the path to ruining your child. You're setting them up for failure. <clears throat> you ought to revert to the scripture above in Proverbs 13, 11, and teach them that he that gathereth by labor shall increase, not he that gathereth by government shall increase, but he that gathereth by labor. That starts real early in life. For which of you, Jesus said in Luke 14, talking about budget, we're not going to do a budget here. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth down first and count the cost? And that's really what a budget principle is. That we're going to do something, uh, we're going to count the cost. If we're going to build a new building here uh, at HBT, we're going to count the cost and say, what can we afford, what's, what's reasonable and so forth. We're not going to do that just blindly. And Jesus said, we want to do that because we don't want to start and not have sufficient to finish it. 
So that's the principle behind it there. There's a couple of myths that I think are important. Number one, debt consolidation. If I have a whole bunch of debts like credit cards and car loans and everything else, and debt consolidation will save me interest, uh, then I'll have one small payment. And when you, when you look at it or when you look at the banker in the eye and he'll look back at you and say, yeah, you'll have one small payment. Here's what you've actually done. You, the debt is still there. You just moved it. Because you don't get out of debt by digging a hole at the bottom. I said you don't get out of a hole by digging the hole in the bottom. A lot of times the reason that people have a bunch of debt that they need to consolidate is because sometimes, and not always, I'm not talking maliciously or in an evil way, but sometimes people run into things they never expected. And so therefore now they, it, it becomes overwhelming because there's a bunch of things there uh, that accumulate. And so putting it together and going for the smaller payment is not always the best answer because you can't borrow to get out of debt. And a lower rate exists because the term is longer, meaning that we're going to pay longer for that debt. Seven, here's, the, here's the sad part. 78% of people who consolidate are back in similar debt after six to nine months because their habits never changed. It's the habits that are the problem. And so that's an alarming statistic. Almost 80% of people who consolidate are back in the same bind. Now they have less equity to use in order to consolidate after an average of only six to nine months. So within less than a year, they can, they can be, not all, but they can be back in the same spot, now in a more difficult position because they have less equity, and they're there uh, with, with that debt dragging around. All right, so just some of the ground rules here, real quick. You must honor the Lord with your first fruits. Just summarizing, we need to have an emergency fund. We should agree not to take on any new debt. In other words, we're going to do plastic surgery. We're going to say, hey, we're going to cut these up here. We're going to, we're going to close the exits here. We're going to uh, make it really difficult. And we're going to agree and communicate uh, together on this. And that is very often a cause for divorce, uh, is this discussion over finances. We need to commit to change lifestyle, and that's the habits part. And that may liquidate certain assets, sacrificing recreation, shopping habits, and so forth, taste for status symbols. I had a couple that came to me years ago, and I, and I, had a, a, I was doing counseling for this, and uh, they came to me, and they were telling me what their expenses were, and their truck payment was more than the maximum house payment a couple should have. And they were, they were just working really hard to keep up with the, with the payments, but they were, they were doing it so they felt like they were okay. And I said, this is, this is really what the proportion should be. And they were way out of that proportion. And it was because they really wanted to have a truck with all the wheels on it. And I said, you know, there are some other nice kinds of trucks that only have four. But nonetheless, <clears throat> those are ground rules. I need my credit card just in case there's an emergency. That's a myth. I can buy this item on credit because I, don't, because I can afford the lower monthly payments. That's a myth. It's better to have a mortgage so I can have a tax shelter or a tax deduction. Let me just break that one down for a moment here. A tax shelter this way means that, let's just say, for example, I have a mortgage of $100,000 and my interest rate is 6.5%. I'm only going to do this tonight. Stay with me. I'm almost done. 
And if we have a 6.5% interest rate, that means that we've paid $6,500 a year in interest. Okay? That's the cost of borrowing that money. At tax time, if I'm in a 25% tax bracket, which most of us would be, that would reduce my income by $6,500, and I would save $1,375. So when we translate that, look at it, I get to pay the bank $6,500 to save $1,375. Yes! And I figured that out on my new free laptop. Let me wrap it up. Brother Branham said, good businessmen know better than to gamble. Don't gamble. You're going to lose. You can't win gambling. Here's a prophet now. Is that all right? This is a prophet telling us this. You're a pauper one time, a rich man an next, and a pauper again. Gambling is a disease. It's just an evil spirit. And it gets on to people, sometimes in a mild form. Brother Bram talks a little bit about that, and he says, then you can also gamble in religion. And he says, you might not know it, but you can say, well, I'm as good as the rest of them. I can go to this church here, and we can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. He said, I'm as good as the rest of them. He said, that's a gamble. Don't you do that. Believers should never gamble. You remember what I said back earlier, where Brother Branham's saying, hey, if it's right, if it's God, then we want to get into it all the way, right? Remember that? He said, we should never gamble and say, well, I assume that the church is okay, he said, don't never gamble on God's word. Don't take a chance. And another thing, a man got a hold of a little money, then he'll try to invest in some kind of a get-rich-overnight scheme. He said, some unidentified uh, un, uh, business. He said, you'll lose a shirt off your back. Don't try that. It never pays off. And here is Brother Branham in investments, talking to a bunch of businessmen who are real uh, uber-wealthy, Right? And he's making sure that they get the point, not only in the investment side, the natural funding, but also on the other side, that they got to make sure that they're making investments also in the spiritual and making sure they're in, making, sowing the right seeds that will reap a harvest of eternal life, right? And he's, he's, he's wanting them to draw that parallel there, but he brings in the point, which I think is well stated, that sometimes we're tempted to go for the quick fix, Right? And that's a very risky thing to do. He says, again, in investments, another thing, don't keep your money in your pocket. He says, you'll never get anything. And somebody will steal it from you. And you don't want to do that. Jesus taught the same thing, Matthew 25. And when you got a talent, don't hide it. Remember the parable uh, in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus said a, a man went away, called his servants and gave them his goods, and he gave one five talents. Let me tell you what a talent is. I used to think a talent was a coin. It's not. A talent is a weight. And if you have a talent of silver, that was equivalent to about 15 years' salary back in that day. So when Jesus talks about this talent here, the talents are no different. Everyone in this parable got the same talent. But everybody got a different amount. And it was what they did with that talent, that's what what mattered to the owner. It's what they did with it, that's what mattered. If you look into the language of this, ta- of this parable, uh, the scripture also tells us that, uh, you know, here's Jesus now teaching in a, in, a, in a mixed crowd, and he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees as well. A lot of those scribes and Pharisees took the law, and they protected the law. The Bible even uh, implies by the language that they built a wall around their law. And said, nothing's going to change. God, nothing's going uh, to be altered here. We have the law. We have the interpretation. <clears throat> this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's going to be forever. 
<clears throat> and uh, Jesus says, the one who had the one and never did anything with it, he was, he was uh, that, that talent was taken from him and given to the others. And that man went out into weeping and gnashing and tears and so forth. Remember the story? Remember how it comes out. And, and Jesus is looking at them, not only now here about their wages, but he's looking at what God gives you, the, the resources that God gives you. And think about it in our day, that God's given us the message of the hour. And God's given us such a great wealth, and he's put it in our hands. And we, we kind of protect it and say, well, this is the way I believe it. This hey, listen, God may want to add to that. You know what? God may want to change this picture here. And God may want to add to that. God may want to grow that. And certainly, God wants you to take it in your life and apply it and, and allow God to bless you and, and uh, make your situation better. Hey, God will come up with creative ways to bless people when they do the right thing with their word. All you need to do is have that, that open heart and that spirit of obedience. And you watch what God does with what he's placed in your hand. When we get the attitude, well, I'm going to do it my way and I've got my habits and this is good for mom and dad. Uh, mom and dad may have died broke and we don't want to die the same way, right? We want to say, Lord, this is not mine. This is yours. And lead me to do the right thing with it. And whether it is your income or whether it is your time or whether it is your children, whatever resources God's given to you, you have a stewardship and uh, not an ownership, but a management of those affairs to do the right thing. And the thing to do, if you're smart, is to go back to the one that gave it to you and say, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with my time? What do you want me to do after I graduate? What do you want me to do with this house? And all the other questions and choices that we have to face in life. Stewardship covers a lot of stuff. And I will tell you, every one of us know what it's like to make mistakes when it comes to this area. And even though it's not always easy to listen to all of the advice and all the different uh, pieces that go with this, the Bible is full of admonitions for us to think carefully about what God's placed in our hand. Because this parable assures us there's accountability for all of us. Because you know what the master did after he gave all those servants talents? He went away. You know what he did after that? He came back. And I want to be able to say, I want to be able to say to him, <clears throat> I didn't bury it in the ground. I didn't bury it in the ground. I didn't, I didn't just let it sit. We took this message and we, we invested it. We preached it. We printed it. We published it. We sent it. Did it in different languages. Did it in every place in the world. Somebody would give us an opening. Invested money into it the revenue of this church, invested it into it, and trusting, trusting, it helped folks. We won't really know. I know a little from traveling, but we won't really know until we cross over on the other side. And people say, wow, are you, are you that church that did this? I got a Bible from somebody. and all. I'd rather be known for that than to say, oh, we just, we just are going to keep this our way. We don't want anybody to touch our teaching. We don't want anybody to make us feel bad. We don't want anybody to correct us. We don't want to grow out of this. We want to stay where we are. Let me tell you, I will tell you assuredly, God does not want you to stay where you are. He wants you to go to where you belong. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stop there.
<clears throat> Brother Bram said, I've been through depression. I have been through prosperity. I've seen it all together, but I wouldn't turn loose the hand of Jesus Christ for all the money and the wealth you could pile up on the face of the earth. He's my friend when I'm broke. He's my friend when I have plenty. I love him when I'm hungry. I love him when I'm filled. I love him when I'm in sorrow, and I love him when I'm happy. I love him because he first loved me. All the rules of our economy are changing, but not one of the biblical rules has changed one iota. They're all still the same. And I think it's a good thing for us to, uh, to pay attention to the things that God's told us here. We love him when we're full, and we love him when we're empty. We love him. Pleasing, let me be pleasing to you. Let everything that I do be pleasing to you. Till there's just no more 
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the principles that are found in your word. And some, Lord, are just timeless. They, they mean the same to us today as when they were written, Lord, even back in the Old Testament. Things, Lord, that are true despite economies and despite governments and everything else, Lord, that happens in the world around us. These principles are still true. And it's a good thing for us, Lord, to remind ourselves that these principles are timeless. And because they come from you, they matter to us. Lord, help us not to be just hearers now, just to be no takers. But Lord, help us to be appliers of this word. So that you can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We want to be conquerors, Lord. Conquerors of everything that holds us back. We want to be conquerors of everything that would slow us down. Lord, we want to be free. We want to be free to be led. We want to be free to move. We want to be free to give. We want to be free, Lord, so that the Holy Spirit can move us. But Lord, we know that that takes choices. That takes decisions in our lives. We're asking, Lord, for your help. We're also asking for forgiveness of things that we may have done wrong. And Lord, help us to grow and learn from those mistakes that we can become better stewards of all you put in our hand. Thank you, Lord, for this people tonight. I thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for what we've been able to do in this church, Lord. And I pray and ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would continue, Lord, to help us to be good stewards and users of the resources that you've placed in our hands. May, Father, we be honest and have integrity. And, Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us as to what you would have us to do. We love you. We thank you, Lord. Bless Brother David tonight as he travels and And Lord, for your people, Lord, that are not here tonight, that are sick, we commit them into your care. Pray that you would be merciful to them. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen and amen. Falling in love with Jesus tonight, God bless you as you go. Thank you for being here. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus falling in love with my Jesus the best thing I've ever ever done in his arms I
in his arms, never disconnected. In his arms, I feel protected. There's no place I'd rather, rather be. Falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with my Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, that's 